0: Hello and welcome to Portrait of an Editor. I am Francis Lombard. In this episode, I had a great talk with Cliff Chang, in which we discussed how his editing work at Vertigo Comics reverberates throughout his career right up to Catwoman Lonely City. He also dived into the creative and the somewhat laborious process he took to make Lonely City. Enjoy! Cliff, welcome to Portrait of an Editor. I'll have to say with all my conversations with Will Dennis during our cropped episodes, uh, I think I already know you. <laughs> <laughs> and they have spoken very highly of you. You seem to be the uh, unknown, the wizard behind everything, it seems. <laughs> because uh, I think I've been, I have been—I was talking with Pornsack and uh, Will when it came to Good Asian. Your name came up on that. And... It's also come up on so many other things where just your insight into comics and just sort of approach to comics has, uh, I guess, influenced others from what I've heard from Will, uh, basically. And as I just finished, and we will be talking about Catwoman Lonely City a lot, but it looks like that sort of paid off. So I guess now you can leave comics behind and move on, right?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, your I work is done heard, here. Uh, <laughs> you know, that I was, uh, you know, influential on anybody, but that's uh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> it just seems... Um,
0: so I, I just want to... The reason why you're here, because you started out as editorial. So I want to sort of, in our conversation, how does, you know, your days at Harvard and then Vertigo, and then how does it all lead to this sort of... Uh, one man show graphic novel of catwoman lonely city and and then the other mm. works that you you have definitely have planned uh for listeners let's just start off i mean one thing i came and researched that you were you you got into comics pretty good you know just before you like hit high school or Stuff And what I heard that you were saying that you read for four years, there's like, you know, you really read them intensely. And then like everybody else, usually, you know, things drop off, you know, high school comes around and just growing up and other things. And, you know, we're, you know, back in the day when you read uh, comics in high school, you were sort of, you know, still it wasn't accepted as it is today. Really, Mm -hmm. you were sort of seen as the outsider or weirdo or nerd or whatever. You know, what was your love for comics that? you know, started this all, where did that was sort of set you up?
1: Yeah. I started reading them when I was 10. Yeah. My br- older brother had brought them home. I always knew about comics, but it, you know, I didn't, we didn't really have any around the house, um, until then. And, uh, you know, he brought back, you know, fantastic four and, and X-Men, uh, you know, this is like 1984. Um, you know, so it's John Byrne and mm-hmm. Paul Smith and, you know, immediately, you know, I had always drawn and loved cartoons and, and, Peanuts, uh, you know, and it was always drawing. So it really spoke to me. And the way, you know, those comics were written, they pull you into this universe, and you know, with all these um, references to other books and storylines that you haven't read. And and so it's really fertile ground for, you know, for a 10-year-old, you know, and, and it kind of blows your mind how expansive it is. So I, I just fell into it and the, that kind of graphic storytelling I hadn't seen, you know, really, you know, beyond comic strips, um, you know, more than four panels, uh, you know, to see things play out in that way, I think was really, I, I didn't think about it intellectually at the time, but it really was this kind of advancement for me, you know, to see that happen on the page. And uh, so I loved it and read them for years. And then I think it was probably around when the direct market happened, it became a lot harder for me to get comics because as I got more interested in them, I wanted to make sure I got every issue, but then, you know, not every issue would show up or would sell out at the local drugstore, you know.
0: Yeah, I used to drive my uh, local – there was two drugstores in town, and I would drive – got to the point I started driving that person crazy with the magazines. Yeah. And, like, I would be there on whatever Tuesday, and I'm like, can you open that? Can you snip those open right now? Because I want to get that issue and stuff.
1: Yeah, you know, and and as great as, you know, the way the direct market solved a lot of those problems, I I didn't know of a local shop, you know, um, that – that was close by, so the nearest one was, you know, 20 minutes away at the mall, um, you know, which meant, you know, having to, you know, beg my parents to take me there, and then, you know, then there's, like, money, it's like, suddenly, I think comics were starting to get more expensive, too, you know, went from 60 cents to 75 or a dollar or whatever. I think I just kind of fell out of it, you know, then high school happened, and, you know, so it was just occasionally I would read them if friends had them, but, um, it just became too hard to keep it up as a hobby. Uh, so it wasn't until college that I had, you know, the free time and the, just, there was so much comics, um, available in, in Cambridge, uh, you know, mm-hmm. being a college town, you know, there was three, at least three great comic shops yeah. within, you know, uh, you know, two blocks of each other really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it was really easy to, to get back into it and, At that point i started reading the vertigo material and you know it blew my mind that there was this other you know this whole other approach to genre fiction uh you know with an eye towards appealing to adults just more you know mature readers i guess you know and it spoke to me you know it it, you know i started reading sandman and you know i was an english major and it just you know that just dovetails when you're you know 18 it just it works out really well, and I just became obsessed with it again. and I had wanted to
0: I got a question I, for you. Yep. when you dropped off when it became difficult to get comics, did you and, and at fourteen, you start you know going to movies by yourself and stuff or reading novels. Did you f- start discovering other genres? because when it comes to vertigo, vertigo especially, you're talking probably what the the 90s or stuff you know they were moving into you know they were in other genres you know that was a thing about right taking into yeah. other did you start becoming familiar with other genres and that the appeal of vertigo was something like that i know these from novels i know these from tv or yeah, film I,
1: yeah i i think you know my experience of comics up till college was just as superhero yeah yeah. you know, and then, so seeing Vertigo and see, and, you know, and, and independent comics, um, you know, really seemed much more diverse story-wise, so, you know, yeah, it was just definitely more interesting, you know, as superheroes were, you know, only in comic books at that point, so anything else that I watched, you know, yeah, of course I was, you know, there was crime, and, you know, this is like when, you know, Pulp Fiction is coming out, you know, yeah. like, that sort of thing, um, you know, movies. What I was interested in becoming a filmmaker just as, you know, for storytelling reasons. And then when I fell back into comics, I realized, well, maybe this is the medium for me, you know. Um, and, you know, so comics became, I think that's when it became a medium for me. Yeah. You know, not just this, you know, place for superhero genre fiction.
0: Were you still drawing, even...
1: I was, I kept drawing throughout like high school, but, um, and then when I got to college, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, you know, so I was an English major and then, um, you know, the the guys who became my roommates in college, like they were, uh, also picking up comics, uh, you know, stuff from dark horse and image and, and, you know, which, and it got me drawing that stuff again, you know, mm-hmm. um, it got me more interested in drawing comics. And then by, you know, the next year I had to really settle down on a on a major. And you know, and then I realized I was missing I wasn't doing any art, so I I should, you know, so I, I decided to do English and visual art.
0: And how I mean, we're talking Harvard, so uh what's that experience like? Was that uh, just a exposure or was there something that really pushed you, you, you know, when you study English, you're, you're studying English. You're not, is there a creative writing element there or was the creative aspect in the, in the, in the art? There
1: there could have been, Uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't follow any of that up. Um, I don't know. I I think part of it was just, you know, being, um, just not being confident enough, uh, to want to, you know, but there there were certainly creative writing classes and, and courses and, and, um, and then, you know, with the art, uh, they were always very quick to say that they were not a professional school, but that they were trying to teach more about the theory and practice yeah. art, um, which, you know, is fine, uh, you know, so it just kind of makes you kind of take like a, a, almost a, you know, a higher level view of things, you know, right? as opposed to just really getting down and dirty with, you know, with certain things. So like, I took a design course, but we didn't learn Any of the software. It was just, you know, moving things around with, you know, with paper and letter set and stuff like that. (laughs) But but in in the 90s, you know, so.
0: (laughs) When it came to English, were you um, just more studying and how to, you know, discussing what what was working on the page and, you know, looking at story, getting familiar with storytelling? I
1: think, you know, I, I think when you're an English major, you do have to be able to discuss literary criticism. And in a way that stuff always seemed, I was much more interested in kind of what I assumed the author's intentions were and whether they, uh, were able to land, you know, uh, you know, to achieve them on the page. Um, so much more a practitioner's point of view and, um, you know, so I had, I had a, you know, it was hard for me to to really engage with theory and criticism um, because they almost seemed like an end to itself, to my mind, not engaging with what was important to me about, you know, about literature.
0: I mean, what do you feel about your experience with, you know, pursuing a, a degree in English? You know, when you're removed from it to this point, did those frustrations and also just the experience of it, does it work for you now? Do you, you know... Did it help develop you, especially as you moved into editing and now as a writer yourself? Do you look back at that experience and go, even though it could have been frustrating or, you know, or you were expected to read books that you just could not get through. I'm an English major too. Hmm. So I'm just asking every time I look back at that experience as an English major, why did I go down that path and how has it helped me? You know? Yeah.
1: I mean, in, in a very simplistic way, I thought, Hey, I like reading. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be an English major. You know, I can get through Um,
0: college easily. (laughs) Yeah,
1: And, you know, and, but I wasn't really prepared for kind of the academic rigor of it. um, You know, Uh, And that that maybe not prepared, but just not as interested in that side of it. Uh, That made it difficult and it made it made me realize that maybe I didn't want to just do that for college. But looking back on it, I definitely feel like it has a value, you know, being able to look at writing through a couple different lenses, you know, I think is always helpful. You know, you can kind of look at it, you know, just on a story level plot and this and that, and then try and just to take a step back and see it, you know, how it relates to, you know, things, or is it, you know, are you trying to make a point? Are you trying to, te- or are you just trying to tell a story? You know, what, what are you, you know, just trying to grapple with the text a little bit more, you know, uh, I, I think is, is worth doing and, and probably not done enough in, in, in most media.
0: So you're reading salmon in your dorm room in mm-hmm. Cambridge how do you make the jump to vert- being an editor at Vertigo?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, that was the dream, right? I, I think when I was leaving uh, school, I, you know, one year I had, um, I managed to intern with Marvel, which was great. I kind of learned how they do things, uh, you know, and you kind of get all the the grunt work um, and, but you get to see how the, com- how the office runs. And that was really helpful. I worked with Joey Cavallari, um, when he was at, while he was at Marvel, and then a couple years later, when I graduated, I, you know, I reached out to him, and he put me in touch with Heidi McDonald, and she was uh, doing the comic section for Disney Adventures Comics, and I I helped her out uh, as an assistant there, getting this comic section together and managing, you know, a couple different features and and um, creative teams, um, you know, for two page, four page, eight page um, segments, and. You know, that was a great, you know, education into how, you know, comics publishing works, um, into deadlines, into deadline management, um, and and managing freelancers. Uh, after, I did that for about a year, and then there was an opening at Vertigo, which was, you know, it was so difficult at the time, uh, and I think it kind of always has been, to break into editorial um there's not a lot of positions it tends to be by attrition you know and and you know either people um you know move up move on you know or sadly you know pass away and you know in you know it happened that you know there, there was an opening uh i interviewed for it did not get it but my um my wife, who's now my wife, she she got that position, <laughs> and then six months later, another position opened up at Vertigo. So it was it's um, really fortuitous, but uh, you know, I, I just never expected that you know uh, to be able to work at Vertigo. You know, it was such a an important touchstone for me uh, in terms of my comics reading, and you know, the dream was always to work there or work somewhere similar. At this point, I was still I wanted to make comics, but there was no guarantee that I would become a penciler or an artist or that it would be good enough. so making comics whatever form it takes, you know if I, if that meant I was going to be an editor, then I wanted to be an editor. you know so it was you know by whatever you know whatever means necessary.
0: One thing I discovered is that, like at Marvel. Going through the internship and being familiar with how the office is run and the workload, because I actually, you know, uh, the French office that I worked for with Humanoids was probably a lot more laid back, and, you know, we're producing one book a year for every series, if, you know, you're lucky if you get two. But did you? Did it help being an intern at Marvel just to understand the workload and what was the differences between coming from the Marvel office to the vertigo office? was there just in workload did you
1: is it... well you know as an intern I, I don't think I was quite privy to to really understanding you know what the workload was like um, it definitely it I think both places remind me of like newsrooms I think you know there's always there's always every week there's a book that has to be sent to the printer, you know? So there's just constant deadlines. And, you know, once you understand that, um, you know, the, the places are very similar. You're just dealing with different talent mm-hmm. and, and different story considerations. You know, um, one of the, the, you know, the nice things about Vertigo is that because of the focus on story and then on creator own properties, you know, you're dealing with talent on a different um in a different way than if uh, you're doing, you know, corporate IP, you know, if, if it's Batman or Catwoman or whatever, you know, the company is definitely going to have a more, a stronger say uh, in what you can and cannot do. And and that isn't necessarily negotiable. But then when, you know, it's a creator, on, if it's a preacher and, and you know, Garth has written something and then, you know, they're worried about how it might play or whatever, that has to be a conversation, it's a more gentle conversation or, you know, and they're also very respectful of that author's voice and what their vision for the series is. So uh, I felt like having that, you know, I I feel like that's much more where the industry is these days
2: mm-hmm.
1: compared to, say, 80s, Jim Shooter, Marvel, you know, yeah. where the editors are really calling the shots on so much stuff, you know. Um, So, you know, that... that I think thinking about comics in that way has always been uh, important to me because it it values the you know the the comic itself as an artistic expression and not just as, you know, a way to sell toys.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean going back to what we just first started talking about, I mean, do you feel when you first fell in love with comics with John Byrne, Paul Smith, you know, the Chris Claremont era, when you started reading when your brother was bringing them home, was do you feel there were artistic expressions there? Because that is, you know, shooter overlording over these books. And still you have books that, if you've ever listened to anything that Will and I talk about, you know, the John Byrne resonates even 30 years later, 40 years later. Yeah. Uh, do you feel it's a just a different kind of expression that these guys managed to get there? You know, when you think back, do you feel that it was just a... I'm trying to create the question, but compared to a Garth Ennis Preacher, compared to a John Byrne Fantastic Four, is it just a different landscape for those creators and yet their their point of view gets across?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's... It can't help but come across, and I think... Those comics, um, because they were largely done Marvel method too, you know, or, or a little bit looser, certainly not as full script as you know, um, DC was at the time. I think, um, there's much more input from the artist and uh, in how things are paced, uh, and you know, that results in a comic that feels different, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, there, there's something. Really visually engaging beyond just "hey, that's an exciting pose" or something like that. There's a pacing to it that is specific to comics um, that that leverages the strengths of comics as opposed to just being, you know, a storybook. Mm-hmm. I I didn't really want to jump
0: into Catwoman, Lonely City right now, but now that I'm thinking about it, is that. John Byrne's Fantastic Four, when he was on it, he was not only writing and penciling, he was inking. And I think there was even times when he lettered. Mm -hmm. And now here you are, you know, in 2022, you know, delivering a book that's basically uh, doing the same thing Mm -hmm. with that kind of creativity and playing in a sandbox where um, you are acknowledging a lot of things that came before. I mean, that was one thing when I just reread The Lonely City and just was reading some reviews of just all the things you you managed from all those universes and all the history of Catwoman that you managed to get in there, and Burns doing the same thing. I don't know if there's a connection there. Maybe you you, you can tell me if there yeah, is. You
1: know? It's You know, I, I think it's funny when I, I think back, on reading comics you know as a ten-year-old I don't know if I ever really considered it as a possible career for me
2: mm-hmm.
1: but you know it is uh, you know I, some of the first ex, uh, Fantastic Four comics I read were like the trial of Reed Richards right and Byrne inserts himself in that story um, you know, I always love that Marvel Comics exist in Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but Burns shows up and, and, you know, goes on an adventure to, to Galactus's trial or Reed Richards' trial. And, um, you know, so there's an awareness that somebody is making this stuff. You know, and I don't... I didn't realize then how much work it was. But, you know, but it, it is interesting to think that, like, one of these comics that, you know, so early on... Um, you know, was done, you know, has this kind of auteur voice to it. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, yeah, here you are now. So, but let's get back to your timeline as an editor. I've asked this question a number of editors when they get jobs, you know, on that, is that the process of getting a job, as you were saying earlier, you know, it's really tough. There's very, there's not a lot of them to get into editorialship. Did they really put you through a lot of, you know, uh, question and answers, and wh- how do they test your your skills, or did they? What was the interview process? Because I've heard things where it's taken months, and they want you to break down a script. They they also want to, you know, they're asking about you know other technical aspects. Or I think Wills told me that he j- he basically did an interview a few times, and because he knew somebody, and they were. You know, uh, Shelley Bond. I think they were looking to hire somebody, and yes. he's like, yeah. "This is okay. I can come. To that I know comics, and and go from there." And it sounds yeah, very actually,
1: simple. <laughs> you know? It's my leaving, uh, Daisy <laughs> Vertigo, that that opened up a spot, and that's that's the, the job that Will got. Actually. Oh, okay, okay. Um, which is <laughs> wow, funny. it
0: all comes together now.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not uh, know
0: that. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, Will had to fill the the giant gaping hole that I left. Um, the uh Stuart Moore was the one who interviewed me mm-hmm. uh, it, because he interviewed me um, six months earlier um, for another for the other position, the other position um, he came got. back to me and, you know, and 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 that was great. You know, so I I had a couple rounds of interviews, maybe, you know, one with him um, and then one with with Karen Berger uh, as the final one to just make sure, you know. I wasn't, you know, that I knew what I, kind of what I was talking about. I think, you know, having, you know, an English degree from an Ivy league, it just kind of gives you some, you know, you're in, you know, you're past the gate already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to be able to talk at least somewhat, you know, about story and about writing, uh, you know, I, I think those things helped, uh, and but it wasn't there wasn't a test per se I, not that i remember i i can't you know there, there wasn't like you know hey you know here's a script and here's some pages can you balloon them um kind of thing uh, you just but you know you just end up learning that stuff on the job uh, i think because i had also the editorial experience already with heidi um yep. you know then they knew i could kind of just jump into the job without too much um you know, training.
0: Was Heidi in Burbank at that point or was
1: it still running no, in New was York? No, it in New York.
0: yeah. Okay, and they were running it out of New York for...
1: Yeah, Disney had a, had an office in New York.
0: Oh, okay. So, And then you learned ballooning there and, and et cetera, just the sort of the the skills of getting a book together for shipping yeah, out. Yeah, the,
1: the assistant editor stuff, you know, so making sure there are copies when the art comes in. There's a lot of, you know, assistant editors are, are so, like, their job is 90% I think logistics and then mm-hmm. slowly on the edges you learn these other higher level skills about you know plotting and pacing and, and talking with talent and you know that, that these are you know but it it's not um so much of at least you know the, the way we did it you know um the editor really relies on you to do that sort of work so that they can be freed up to read and scripts and edit scripts um you know? Otherwise, you know, where, you know, when is there time to do that stuff if you're, you know, too busy chasing down, um, you know, pages and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there something that you really like doing as an assistant editor? Was there some, you know, that maybe as an editor you miss doing? Uh,
1: I missed. I mean, my favorite part was talking with creators uh, whose work I loved and and getting insights from them on the craft you know uh i was still very interested um, in becoming a professional artist when i was there so whatever i could gain you know glean from them you know from these phone conversations checking in weekly you know how's the deadline where's the script where's the pages where are the pages um you know but then you know you can't just (laughs) <laughs> you can't just call and, and ask, where's the work? Um, you know, you're having a conversation with them, and then at the end, you know, where where is it, you know? Um, but those conversations were really great, and, and everyone was so supportive. Um, so those are my, my fondest memories of, of working there, you know? Um, but there's a, there are a lot of little things, you know, just that took me through almost like a boot camp of sorts in terms of making comics, just the sheer number of pages that would come in and need to be ballooned and send out to letterers and you're comparing them against script. So you're constantly seeing what the script called for, how the artist interpreted it, and then you're weighing that on, like, what's the final effect? Are they, you know, are you getting what the the writer um, asked for? Is it okay that you're not getting what the writer asked for? Is it better or is it just different? And then if it's, if it's wrong, <laughs> how do you fix it, you know? And, you, and, and, and at that point, usually it's, it's so much work to redraw stuff. Um, you know, that's sort of the last, um, you know, resort. So you're trying to just do this kind of field medicine on a page. Like, what if we move this, you know, balloon over here? Will we change this dialogue a little bit. Will that make this panel work better, you know, or make this moment land better? Um, And doing that week after week gives you a different kind of fluency in the language of comics, you know, because you're constantly seeing what happens if I change this tiny thing. Um, And, you know, without that, I don't, you know, it it very quickly built up for me, you know, fluency in in, in visual storytelling. Are you
0: literally almost at points counting the number of words in every dialogue line to see if it fit, you know, works for a balloon. I mean, are you no, getting, you know,
1: no, that, that's, that's more, just, you know, <laughs> okay. a gut thing. Uh, but you know, but definitely when sometimes, you know, you, it might get away from you. And then you have this giant balloon, and you're like, I, I need to trim this because it, mm-hmm. it doesn't because a huge balloon like that takes away from the immediacy of the panel, you know, and I, I think when you lose that, you have to do that very deliberately. You know, I can't just be because you were a little too wordy that day.
0: And were there tricks that you picked up along the line to sort of help you sort of just get through that? Uh, was there any sort of that you learned from Heidi as you were going through, you know, as an assistant editor? What were some of the things that you, you know, allow that people don't know that they're reading that allow you to just get through that and get the page onto the next stage? is or is it just really down to gut reactions and looking every every page is a different puzzle i guess
1: yeah i i do think that you know it it can it, it is a different puzzle each and every time and and each scene calls for something different um or, or might call for something different but over time you do recognize the patterns um you know so that experience was really valuable for me but you know, I think maybe you know what I learned uh, is most important for that was most important for me as a penciler was making sure that you leave room for lettering, you know, mm-hmm. and if you do your own ballooning, um, that pacing is so important. It's so important to whether you look competent as a storyteller. Um, so if you if you're able to present ballooning, it makes uh, you know, the assistant editor's job a lot easier. It preserves the storytelling style that you want, um, and that will become associated with you. You know, if, if you're adding a silent panel, you have to, you know, show. You know, you want to make it clear. Otherwise, suddenly there's eight panels on this six-panel page. Uh, you know, why? Why is that? You know, so. Um, you know, so you have to explain that to your editor, and by having being able to show balloons, um, balloon placements, then you can, you know, they can read along with it and see how you've adapted the storytelling, you you know, or refined it in some ways, you know. Not enough people do it, I think. Um, You know, just trusting that they're going to stick with the script. But, like, you know, what happens when you combine, you know, these two panels because it's just two characters talking to each other without a significant beat, you know, Mm -hmm. to give yourself space for something more important you know, a panel or two later. Um, You know, those are, those are important things. And those are things that I feel like you learn, you can learn more easily through, you know, going through a volume of pages.
0: So when did you actually start at Vertigo? You got hired what year? I think it was
1: end of 97. 97. Okay.
0: (laughs) What was your first day like if you remember it? Or I don't know if maybe you've blocked it from your memory. I don't know and you were hired as a an editor right as an assistant editor as an assistant editor yeah
1: i actually never made it to editor uh, okay um, so uh
0: because i know in '03, so six years later you're drawing beware the creeper right that's when i became yeah, aware I of was, your stuff yeah
1: yeah i was on staff for two years to so two years uh, and, yeah, okay yeah and left at the end of 99 uh i had
0: so, you were working under who as I was an working assistant? under Stuart Moore
1: and okay. Axel Lonzo. And then the last few months, I was working uh, with uh, Shelly Bond.
0: As an assistant editor compared to your job with Heidi, what were the changes or what was the difference?
1: I mean, mostly volume. Um, okay. You know, w- when you're, it's really great to work on shorter pieces because you get a feel for structure. Um, but then when you're, talking to Peter Gross about Books of Magic, an issue of Books of Magic, you know, that's 22 pages. Um, you know, it's a different volume of stuff and and making sure that all the pieces for that come in at the, at the right time and that you're, you know, you're trafficking the pages to the right people and keeping everybody moving. That was a big part of the job, um, the traffic cop part of it. And, and it shouldn't be underestimated. It might not be creative necessarily, but the project management is, is kind of where the schedule lives and dies.
0: And you're talking 97, right? Mm-hmm. So, a crop that I just recorded uh, and uh, I'll have out before this, Will and I also were talking about at that time. And I was getting really back into the comics. People were talking about the industry. We might not be here for mm. in a month. Yeah. Um, what would, you know, I remember reading stuff, Warren Ellis talking about, oh, comics, American comics are done in two months, done in this. What were you thinking back then? Were you thinking people just don't get it? We're going to bounce back. Marvel, of course, is coming out of bankruptcy and stuff like that. What was the vibe at Vertigo then?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I was industry-wise that savvy about what was happening. I mean, as aware as I was, you know, it was probably 96, right, when things went really um, upside down with comics. So this was coming out of that. And things were starting to get better, although Marvel was starting to get, things were starting to get really dire for them. I know now how dangerous a time that would have been for comics. But at the time, you know, at DC, I was just thinking, well, you know, this is just, you know, competition or whatever. Like, you know, if, if, you know, if hadn't really thought about what would happen if they, you know, really went out of business mm-hmm. um, and how disastrous that would be. Um, you know, so I don't think I was as nervous as I should have been.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you you get the job and you're there for two years. Um, and you, as you just said, you were like, Well, if I'm going to get into comics, uh, and here's the opportunity to be in comics as an editor, yeah. Uh, but it sounds like in other things you've said that you were pursuing, you know, you were getting back into drawing, you were drawing, yeah, because
1: I was, I was working on my art at the same time, yeah. trying to get short jobs um and and the good thing about being on staff was that i got to know the editors and they got to know me and i would send them i would show them samples um you know and get you know real feedback like you know it was like going to a you know a convention and having a portfolio review uh and it helped me get you know just short things here and there just to work on my chops Um, how do you and negotiate
0: the politics of that? Because you're here.
1: Gently. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, because.
1: Gently, yeah. It, it, it's, it, you have to, you know, these were editors that I had a relationship with already, that I was friendly with already. It was not the first day that I started showing pages. Okay. Around. It took like, you know, six months to a year. Oh, you. Really, oh. you know. Okay. Um, because, one, you know, I didn't have the time, you know, to be drawing stuff. And I was just working on the craft on my own, you know, as well, so. Um, you are just trying to do self-published little, you know, little things. And, you know, when you reach a point that you feel like, oh, I can show this around or I can I've gotten a portfolio ready, you know, that uh, doesn't happen overnight. So, you know,
0: but you felt after six months that was fine, because I, I've always wondered about when do I because I my an old agent of mine said, you know, call them because that's their job is to yeah. have people, writers or whatever hitting them up for jobs, but I'm like, yeah, but, and they're like, it's a known thing, you know, don't be scared of it. But when you're working with these folks and you're supposed you know, they're, you're busy already with your job. I was just wondering, when did you feel it was, you know, after six months, was there some, a conversation you had with somebody? They're like, okay, I can feel fine doing this because there is that they're, they're your boss and they're busy too.
1: Right. Uh, I think, you know, over the, you know, the course of working there, you become friendly with people and you have conversations and you have conversations about the comics that you love and you find editors, friends who have similar, who are inclined similarly, you know, and then you realize, oh, you know, this, and they might have creative, you know, um, aspirations themselves and you know and the interesting thing about dc at the time it was very much church and state if you were working on staff it was very difficult to get work uh freelance work i've heard uh, that to too be yeah approved by yeah. your superiors and then it had to go all the way up to paul levitt's and get signed off on mm. so wow okay you know which meant that if you were going to be offered something it was this extra level of hassle um and that they didn't you know they wanted to keep you know, jobs from just going to other editors, you mm-hmm. know, um, which yeah, totally makes a lot of sense. And, you know, for me, uh, they were a couple jobs and then, um, you know, just short things which were very easy to get, you know, approved, um, you know, things like, um, in the big book series, um, that, uh, Andy Helfer and, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, was, uh, his department was doing. Um, so it, uh, You know, and my friend Jim Higgins was, you know, editing some of those, too. And, you know, you know, so he reached out and, and said, hey, we've got two pages of this. Would you know, are you interested? You know, so there would be short pieces, you know, no longer than a couple pages. But then as my art got better and I was talking to the editors more then it was like, oh, well, you know, we've got this single issue or something like that, you know, and, you know, um. I remember, um, you know, talking to Pete Tomasi, right? Um, who, you know, was editing, you know, a bunch of great books uh, there at the time, but also wanted uh, to be writing comics, yeah, you know? and 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 doing film. Um, so, you know, we we got along really well, and he he liked my art, and you know, suggested me for um, one of the Fifth Week events, you know, uh, which would give me time because also I, working full time as an assistant editor only gives you from you know, eight or nine PM till the next day. You know, to work on, on art. So you you know, it it, it uh, anything that I did would require a longer timeline because I wasn't available to to draw during the day. So um, it became it got to a point where I realized that if I wanted to be a professional artist, uh, that I had to I had to do it full time. I had to I had to pursue it full time, whether or not I had anything you know lined up and you know it was interesting at you know I remember speaking to Axel Alonso um and he mentioned it, this this comes up uh, fairly often you know because there are you know a lot of editors do wonder you know oh you know do you or they're asked you know do you want to write or do you want to draw so Axel had had a conversation with Archie Goodwin how do you handle it and Archie's response was, if you're going to edit, you can't ever want to be on the other side of the desk. You have to be okay with that, you know, because otherwise, you can't want that more than you want to edit, you know, because you'll it'll kind of bleed into your editing work, you know. And it's not about how you would do something. It's about shepherding someone through the process.
0: Interesting i mean i think archie is you know as people say he's one of the best editors and most influential editors even to today
1: and a great writer and a
0: great writer because i just finished reading that book about uh, warren uh, publishing um, mm-hmm. empire of monsters and archie was editing and writing a lot of books yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> it'd be interesting to find out when he took that upon himself well, you know, I, I, I don't think
1: it's that he separated them mm. uh, necessarily, but you can't want to be a writer more. You you can't let that desire color your editing. More. Color your editing, yeah. You I know, see. and and, yeah. if, and I think if you want that more than you want to be an editor, then that can be a problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, and and for me, it was you know I, I thought that was really interesting, and I had to think, you know, you know which did I want more and. You know, and that's when it came down to well, if I'm if I'm ever going to m- make it as a professional artist, then I was going to have to dedicate myself to it
0: more. So you wanted that more, yeah. You, as a- after two years as an assistant editor, working what probably twelve hours a day, yeah. Basically, you right. were you realized I still want to be in comics, but not as an editor, and not in not that spot in comics. Yeah. How planned out, were you on making the, the, uh, the change? Or did you just sort of leap into the dead, you know, the deep end of the pool?
1: Um, I didn't have a lot of work lined up, you know, I was able to move home, uh, which meant not having to worry about rent in New York City. Uh, so I could just work on drawing and whatever jobs came in, you know, and mm-hmm. I did that for a few years, um, two or three years. And you know, it wasn't um Yeah, you left in ninety-seven, right? I left in ninety nine.
0: Ninety nine. You left yeah. you started in ninety-seven, left in ninety-nine, and then spent the next couple of years just
1: working on whatever, work you know, came, yeah, your came way. my way, you know, and, and it was, you know, initially an issue here and there. And then um and then the more regular work uh happened when I started doing backup stories with um um uh, Matt Otto for Matt Idleson in uh in Detective Comics, the Josie Mack stuff with Jed Winnick. Yeah. Um, you know, I became, uh, I knew Bob Shrek and Ed Matt Adelson from working there and, and um, you know, and started doing these these backups. And, and that was great because it was eight pages on a monthly basis. And so kind of like an easier, manageable schedule. Um, I could spend the time that I needed to um, because you're, you're slower, you know, you're trying to get things right. You know, so that was perfect. It was a perfect training ground for me.
0: How much of a deadline do they give you an eight page story?
1: I mean, it needed, you know, the the comic was coming out every, you know, every month. So it 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 had it. Yeah. So probably about, you know, three, you know, three weeks Mm -hmm. is probably what I had to do it in, you know, and then take a little bit of a break, you know.
0: Was there ever a point that you thought that, oh, shoot, maybe I shouldn't have quit my day job? Or were things just beginning to – were they bubbling, simmering enough that you're like, okay, I can – it's working for me? Or were you – did you have any regrets, I guess?
1: (laughs) Not regrets because it was always just trying to climb. Yeah. You know, Um, regrets maybe like, you know, my first – you know, doing my taxes, you know, that that first year, you know, the the, the earned income credit – (laughs) <laughs> you know, being, being in that zone was sort of a, a you know an eye-opener
0: officially a starving artist really
1: <laughs> yeah right i i worried but then you know but there was enough happening that i i felt confident enough that i could keep pursuing it
0: how did um beware the creeper come about because i really like that i i th- it took me a while to just buy the stuff off the stands but there were like issues i think around issue four i started grabbing it and there was one, two, and three still available, sitting on the stand. So I just grabbed it, and I thought it was gorgeous-looking book. A little bit weird, but it's the Creeper—a different yeah. take on the Creeper. But was that your first uh, full comic book? You know, monthly comic book. I know it was only a mini series of six issues, but you know, yeah, on I that kind of deadline.
1: Yeah, I think it was. Um, you know, I mean, it's great that it was a mini series because we could develop it over a longer period of time without mm-hmm. the pressure of it having to come out um will uh dennis had you know reached out to me because he would have been talking to jason hall the writer um, yeah. about like the pistol whip books and then he had pitched him something and it didn't work out but um you know i, I was very friendly with will at that point um you know we were one of the things that I made a point to do when I was, um, once I had left DC was come back in to see my friends at the office, you know, and so we'd go out for Chinese food every Thursday um, and just shoot the shit, but um, you know, and the way comics works, you know, there there are often jobs that come your way because somebody, you know, dropped the ball, didn't get pages in, you know, we need three or four pages here, or you know, um, and you, you know, you needed to be in person to get, to pick up that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, Will and I, uh, wanted to work together and, you know, when he started talking to Jason, this is when they were trying to, I guess, do new takes on some of the properties. Uh, so this is when the losers, mm-hmm. uh, came out. This is when, uh, Winterman was being developed, um,
0: and that so, was, uh, the Losers, I know Will edited too. The, yes. he, he also edited Winterman?
1: Yes, yep. that's right. Okay. Uh, you know, because they had had success with things like Unknown Soldier. Yeah. That's right. And, and, you know, um, El Diablo. And there were, you know, a bunch of things. Just trying to find you know, ways of rebooting, remixing um, some of these other properties that have been languishing. You know, because there was still this separation of you, you can't do Batman in Vertigo. Yeah. But you could do the creeper, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it had been it had, you know been lying fallow for a few years, you know, and so the you know there was a list I think of characters, you know, of things that that were available to us. We picked the creeper and then went with you know and then developed this really you know I think unconventional take on yeah. the creeper, um, and it was. I'm so fond of that project because Will trusted me, he trusted uh, me to kind of art direct it. uh, And it was the first time I got to really express a lot of, you know, these things that I've always wanted to do in comics and do on the covers and, and to present the book in, in a certain way that made it, I never wanted it to feel like a standard superhero comic, you know? So, uh, You know, I'm so grateful for that because without that book, I wouldn't have had the confidence to do that later on other books. And I think it also made that book stand out.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember the covers was looking through just how they were designed. They did pop and just, I don't know. There's something about green and yellow too in comics Mm -hmm. that work really well, but even just there's something, you know. It's been a, a long, uh, been some time since I looked at the interior of the book. Uh, I don't even know if I have it anymore because of my moving. But just how you, I don't know the the reds that you were using at times in the book, and just there was a, I don't know the a, sort of a texture that, that you yeah, brought that to was, it, yeah, to that the was artwork. Dave um, okay, yeah,
1: you know, just, of course, right? It, it's going to be great. Uh, but I you seen, you
0: were talking with him and setting it up for him yeah, to be able to pull seen this Dave's off.
1: Work. This is pre Hellboy, you know, mm-hmm. and i had seen Dave's work on uh over Javier Polito and, and really loved it, and yeah, they, you know, and really wanted to work with him. And we were able to work on I think Golden Streets of Gotham together, but you know, I, I had less um input on that book, uh, and then but then with where the creeper was like oh this is a new project it, you know it doesn't you know let's let's talk about it talk it through you know and see what ideas we had and, and the way he colored it you know he essentially painted uh, so much uh, of that book like it didn't feel it wasn't a lot of um, kind of animation inspired you know hard cuts on 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 the coloring it was something that was a, you know a little bit more impressionistic um, you know and and painterly and and i love that and and you know it and it definitely elevated the book
0: now was this approach discussed before you got into it so you were able you and was that discussed before his approach your your, your how you were going to approach that i think so
1: yeah i mean so, you know having seen what he had done you know um before too was like you know not you know um because he, he was also working in, in a few different styles at the time. You know, mm-hmm. he could do, like, a really slick superhero thing if you wanted him to, you know, And but, you know, we, we were definitely looking for something that was not conventional.
0: And how, how did it influence your approach to the book?
1: Um, it was just overall, you know, just uh, knowing that it was going to look good, you know, and they would let me um, try different things, um, you know, so... You, it was just kind of, and because I was, you know, talking to Dave and talking with John Workman, letter the book, you know, like establishing, you know, with this new book, what the the style guide was going to be essentially, you know? So having all that input there was really um, rewarding for me and valuable for me because again, you could present a book in a way that um, was a little different from, from, other stuff that was coming out at the time and that, you know, it really is about kind of putting your stamp on things.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I got to get you out in like 15 minutes. So I think I'm going to jump forward uh, to the present time
1: yeah. where I keep talking, if, <laughs> yeah.
0: but I just want to, um, so how does all this, you know, the developing and experience and you've been, you know, you went out to wonder woman too, which and then also Paper Girls, those long, you know, very successful runs. But what did you, I guess, your two years as an assistant editor, mm-hmm. how has that influenced your, the last 20 years of you as a creator?
1: I think it's let me have a fluency in the workflow that most artists don't have most of the times you're just familiar with your end of it and you don't see how it affects other people. And when you don't see how it affects other people, you're not as aware of how it reflects on your work, what it does to the schedule. I mean, very literally on, on paper girls, you know, that experience helped me schedule everybody, you know, and and we were never late and I made a, a calendar when we started paper girls and we hit all those deadlines over the course of three years, we we never missed it. And that's, you know, a lot of making sure that pages come in and that someone's working while, you know, that Jared is working on lettering while Matt's coloring stuff and making sure that it all comes in at the same time. So, and and that's a huge part of it. When you're doing independent comics, you are a business owner and you have to run that business. You can't just say, I'm just going to draw this, somebody else take care of it.
0: So even at that that level, uh, when you're working with Image, they just don't have... The uh, the manpower to provide you know the A list creators they like can
1: do it but but you you, know, you
0: took it on yourself um, or?
1: yeah I, because as the artist I'm generally going to be the the weak link mm-hmm. in terms of the schedule you know things are going to take longer I'm you know it just takes longer to draw this stuff so if there's any problems they accumulate and uh, they accumulate at that stage and then they you know they there's a waterfall effect when you know the colorist doesn't have enough time or the letterer doesn't have enough time so trying to avoid all those problems um you know it makes everything run smoother if you're pushing everybody to their limit and then when something slips it's disastrous so you you know you want to make sure everyone's working comfortably at like 80 Mm percent you know So you built
0: in time for in Paper Girls when you started doing the schedule because of those, you know, your background, you were able to build in sort of contingency time and periods where – and did that – how does that – I mean, it goes back to editing, but did that take a little pressure off of you knowing that you had a schedule like this, everybody seemed to be in agreement with it, and that you would also – you know, had time worked in for people, so did it allow your creativity as an artist so. to really I think take so. off? I, it's
1: not something I, I I thought about actively, but knowing that the schedule is there and that it works, um, you know, especially after like the first year or so, you know, when when those those dates you know prove to, to work for everybody, um, it's just one less thing to worry about, and and that's always good. With a Catwoman. You did everything basically Mm -hmm. except
0: for editing. So, did you have to, you know, were you able to sort of back off a bit, or what was your editors, you know, working with an editor like for that one? You know, it
1: seems, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, I I worked with Chris Conroy and Andrea Shea um, on Cat One and Lonely City, and and they were great. Uh, It's, I, I, absolutely feel that editors are are always necessary because you do have blind spots Um, you know and as much as I tried to give them something that felt pretty polished um, you know I wrote full scripts I sent them an outline ahead of time um, Mm -hmm. I wrote the whole you know the whole thing before I started drawing it and so that they could evaluate it you know and and I wrote as a full script because that's the best for me uh, you know uh, it's the best way for an editor to to kind of see it in their head um you know and and then once it was written i thumbnailed and lettered it so that it was a very rough version of the comic so that we could then evaluate it as a comic and not just this blueprint for a comic you know and so even if the drawings weren't finished you could say well this moment feels off this dialogue we should change um you know i am you know i I tried to make it the tightest thing I could, so that you know it wouldn't involve a lot of work to fix later. We wanted to make sure that all the beats made sense. The plot we we worked through a beat sheet after the outline um, to make sure that everything lined up um, story wise, and that there weren't questions about like is this scene necessary, or you know maybe we should move this here, or there's not enough urgency here. We need you know to push things. That kind of planning. You don't often have the luxury to do, but it helped make uh, Catwoman, you know, what the kind of book that I wanted it to be. You know, this very deliberate um, and considered piece of work.
0: Was that approach the the that kind of approach something you've done before, but you just developed it more, or did you feel because of what you wanted to achieve with Catwoman, you you had to go at this like that?
1: It's more like voltron i think uh these were things that i liked in other projects to to various degrees so i liked when you know author writer a did this so i'm gonna take that you know and then so putting it all together was very theoretical in some ways you know and it wasn't until you know the first issue was done that it was like okay all these gambles paid off you know but they were they were They were rational, experienced gambles, um, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing that I could do this. But, you know, would it gel together as as a book or would it be this kind of, you know, chaotic mess?
0: Did you back off at all with this sort of approach as you moved forward into into the series or did you stay, I guess, as rigid with full scripts and uh, no yeah there was no backing off uh,
1: because it was all written at once all written at once okay it was all drawn at once so there was no which made it really challenging because it's really this long haul where like yeah it's written take took me you know about six months to write it Mm -hmm. and then i figured it was going to take maybe another year to draw, but then ended up taking two, you know, um, because of the size of the pages and and the kind of density of information that I wanted in each panel, um, you know, that pacing is so different from a lot of the other comics that I've worked on, um, and more directly, kind of an homage to you know '80s DC comics and the level of density that they had. You know, when you look at something like Dark Knight Returns, or you know uh, you know or year one uh, for example you know like those are very dense books um, mm-hmm. but they don't always read that way but there's a lot of information being given yeah they don't because i i mean i read catwoman pretty
0: much in my the first time once i finally got it i got the the collected hardcover i mean thank you for that really interesting direct direct market cover the uh, <laughs> that was awesome and the fold out and just everything yeah, that, was, that, was,
1: they were, they were, that was pretty great
0: um and I started rereading it again for this and prepping for this and I reread it again. I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, I'm missing stuff. I missed that. I see this now. Um it and I'm I didn't get through all of it, but I'm going to finish it tonight because now I see exactly what you said. It it there's so many layers to this um that it it deserves a second or third read.
1: Again, yeah, I Yeah, you want it to be, I think, um, almost uh breezy in some ways you know you don't want a reader to to constantly be stopping uh you know in order to to get what they need out of the story so um but on a slower read you want you know you want that stuff to be there um there's a sense of it being there when when you're reading it quickly and then when you slow down you can appreciate it um a little bit more but um, you, I don't think you want to load it down with being, uh, you know, it's it's hard because I think, you know, there, there are benefits to being more upfront and obvious about things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, um, you know, I, I tried to background a lot of things just so that, you know, they wouldn't take away from the immediacy, you know, of the story. because. Well- you know, it, something like that can be re- very ponderous, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read plenty of comics that, you know, try to deal with this kind of thing or reference a lot of history, and it's like, it's there if you know it. If you don't know it, it's fine. But if you get the sense of it, that's actually more important than anything else.
0: It feels like... goes back to your talk about all the layers that... And the universes when you first started reading comics. Mm. But also, you said you... We're looking at film as a career too and yeah. you would, we're studying that and with filmmaking you can watch it in a theater once and then you come back to these movies they are really movies are made to be watched more than once mm-hmm. because of all the crews that are involved in it and all the departments doing their job at a you know especially classic movies movies that survive the test of time you always come out with a different experience you know there's plenty of movies i've seen more than once and numerous times and i come out with a different experience either by the performance or what's going on you know in the background miss on scene or just the the photography and what you're accomplished in this um is something similar to that where you acknowledge the history of comics. You know, I'm not a big Catwoman fan, but the first thing I thought about, like, is Darwin Cook's, you know, Selena's Big Score. That reminded me, that's probably, you know, of that when I started reading yours, but also just the layers and just the look and being able, you know, your auteurship approach to this because you basically were an auteur on this comic. But yeah, there's so many layers going on in this. It's, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to, you know, oh, it's it's just a medium copying film. No, you can do this and have a really engaging read in different layers, in different ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a way when you're making it to, that you're always trying to find ways to make it richer. It's not necessarily detail, but there's a lot of story elements or a lot of choices That are very deliberate. And I think when a reader is going through the story, is reading it, when they see something, they make an assumption that you meant to put that in there. You know, maybe you didn't, but for the most part, I want to reward that level of close reading with an equal, you know, passion for, you know, getting as much character and history in there because it it just it just makes it a different experience, you know, we want to keep it from being just a surface. In filmmaking, there's these happy
0: mistakes. Now you as the process you went through, and it's, you know, from writing all the way up to the lettering and coloring it and just how you wrote out full scripts and but during the two year process of drawing it were there happy mistakes too like what filmmakers like to have find in their film too did you yeah, come I across think, any of those
1: yeah and and those were actually more editing things where you know I, the way i had i had i went back there were definitely pages that were rescripted and redrawn um, you know from a thumbnail to better address things that were happening as i was you know started drawing that's when the pandemic started and then the protests around george floyd's murder These were things that needed to be thought of and incorporated in in ways that weren't cheap. Issues around police brutality, you know, these were, you know, things that I wanted the comic to be in conversation with. And that required rewriting parts of it, you know, certain pages, certain scenes, um, you know, to change the emphasis or to be more explicit about things. Those are absolutely, you know, maybe they're not accidents, but, you know, um, you know, a note from the editor then changed, you know, there's one... One page that probably, you know, went through three or four different drafts over the course of, you know, several months. I, I did one version of it and then left it. And then six months, you know, a few months later, I came back and said that felt wrong. You know, let's do this. And then, and then reconfiguring it another way at, again by the end uh, when I actually had to, you know, turn the book in. With all the planning that went on, it was also important to stay agile, to be nimble. and And, you know, if things needed to change, to change them. Hopefully, we caught most of those things at an earlier stage, so that I wasn't, you know, having to change fully drawn pages. How did COVID affect the the drawing of the book? It, I mean, that definitely slowed me down. It was right as I was beginning to draw, and or no, actually, no, it was when I was thumbnailing and 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 writing. I think um, maybe so. It definitely slowed me down on top of everything else, but at the same time, it was also this. It was an anchor. It was something that was steady for me and that I could go back to that. I could do day in and day out in spite of the kind of weird groundhog day effect of, of lockdown. So, you know, I was grateful for it, but you know, it's also, it was definitely a challenge. Like it was a marathon. Yeah. And, and, and usually I'm used to the shorter race of a monthly comic where, you know, or you get it out, you know, and then, and then there's at least some relief, you know, if it's the first issue of a five issue arc, at least you're done. You can put that one away. You don't have to keep it in your head anymore. Mm -hmm. But then with this, it was just constantly having 200 pages of story in your brain and thinking, well, if I change this panel, how does that affect everything else?
0: Yeah. Or, and and
1: that's exhausting, (laughs) but That work has to be done, or else you just end up with this kind of really fluffy, you know, thing that doesn't hold together.
0: So, in my conversations regarding uh, Black Label and just the birth of it, and uh, with other editors, there is a freedom there. And what do you think of the Black Label experience for for you? For you?
1: Yeah, because
0: of the challenges. Uh,
1: Yeah, I'm grateful for their approach. I'm grateful that they to be invited to do something throughout it was very much, well, what do you want to do? You know, was the question. And for me, that's unprecedented with, you know, a character like Catwoman or Batman, you know, like you don't get that opportunity very often. And, and so, you know, I remember talking with Jock, you know, who was working on Batman uh, one dark night yep. at the same time. And we were just marveling at how, you know, given our experience there, just how open they were to everything that we suggested, you know, um, that we wanted to do and how we want to present things. And, you know, they, having come off paper girls where we had, you know, complete control over that, you know, I was worried as like, what's going to be liked, you know, to work at DC again, you know, once one and, you know, and it was wonderful, um, you know, it, and, and a very special place. And I hope they keep doing these kinds of books because it, it's the kind of thing that I think results in, Hopefully, you know, comics that uh, are evergreen uh, shows the potential of the medium. It gives a different look at these characters that you don't necessarily get from the monthly uh, issues.
0: And it goes back to sort of what we were talking about with the Beware the Creeper of that, a a different take on these characters. And the thing I like about Black Label is somebody I, you know, I'm familiar with Catwoman. I've... Jumped in, jumped out, and I like you know the funny thing—the nods to the the silly suits that she used to wear, (laughs) you know the the sort of the orange one. I mean, with the purple one with the tail, and Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, is that that's the one with the crazy boots, right? And it was just basically somebody drawing a naked naked woman and painting her purple, (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) Just um, is that uh, yeah, I you you can, I have the basics of that character.
1: Yes. And, and then, then was, I could
0: jump yeah. jump in there and read this and enjoy this.
1: And that's why, you know, I picked Catwoman. You know, I, when I thought about all the characters, when I was thinking about what to do, um, you know, I thought, oh, maybe I'll do a Wonder Woman war book. That would be really cool, like a period book set in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was like, oh, maybe I need to leave. It's too soon for, for another Wonder Woman project. For me, you know? <laughs> but then Catwoman, I realized, you know, people know who Catwoman is. You know, they 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 recognize the costumes, um, you know, even if you don't recognize the costume, you know, she's got cat ears
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, and you know that she's a thief and that it's in the Batman universe. Right. And that's really all you need to know. And so this book was always meant to be something to bring in a reader who just has that level of familiarity with the property and then also leverage the long publishing history and the fandom, you know, and and. the readership that, that has existed for the character as well, to be able to draw on that as as history for the character uh, and to give them a real sense of um to use that whole publishing and pop culture history as as background um in a way, you know, to, to make the character feel lived in. I think, you know, right, that's the value, I think the main value of Black is being able to make these books for a general audience, but then also appeal to, you know, a hardcore you know, Wednesday
0: uh, audience as well. It's after one thirty. I gotta let you go. So. <laughs> but, oh no! If you have more questions,
1: happy to, happy to well, keep going.
0: What are your plans for next? You've created this approach to comics uh, of producing comics. You know, definitely it seems to spin out from your couple years as editor, and obviously with Paper Girls, as you were saying, that you used your experience there to keep that book on track. What's your plans for the future?
1: I don't have any right now. I have to admit that Catwoman took a lot out of me.
0: I, it seemed like, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, it feels like how you described it and just everything you did. I was like, how do you, you know, how do you recover from something like that? And you were still designing the book in a the hardcover. You were involved in that. I mean, where do you, as a creator, because we've talked about that too, is just the physical exertion of drawing and just the, the physical activity of producing stuff like this. Yeah, How do you take think... care of yourself? And where where are you in that?
1: I don't know. I think I burned myself out a little bit, if I'm going to be honest. Okay. Um, the 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 pressure on the self-imposed pressure of the project and me wanting to be as good as I could possibly make it. You know, this is very much an artistic statement uh and a proof of concept in a way that like I've learned all these different things about comics over the years. Can I put them into practice? So there was a lot of pressure on me um, to, to make sure I got it right. And then on top of that, you know, just the pandemic, I think, changed the way my brain works a little bit. You know, this the added stress every day of like, you know, just trying to assess threats, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- there's a part of your brain that's always engaged with that. So I've lost that part, you know, to, to making comics. And then, you know, as I was working on the, the last issue, um, you know, my mom had a stroke, and so I was having to take care of her, and and I didn't work for a couple months um, as well as while we were trying to figure out what her situation is. Um, and so finishing the issue was, you know, like I was saying before, it, you know, was an anchor for me, but it was exhausting, um, you know. And I knew at this point I couldn't drop it, <laughs> you know. And I needed to get it done, and I needed it for it to be good. I needed it to be something that I could proudly point to and not say. Oh, well, yeah, that page, I kind of, you know, I, you know, I, I did that one a little fast because I had to get to the hospital, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't want any reminders of that in the book, which meant working at a level of kind of being meticulous, maybe, you know, kind of misplaced perfectionism, um, you know, th- just so that I wouldn't have any regrets looking back at the book. I have enough already on, on any work that I do, but I didn't want, you know, what had happened to my mom to actually, that then affect, you know, so much had happened already and affected my life that I didn't want it to affect this as well. So it became a real, an obsession almost to make sure that this book got done, but I didn't have as many hours in the day to do it anymore. You know, so like the, the schedule kept slipping, you know, and it got to a point where we had to get it out by this day. And, and, you know, luckily it all made it out before the end of the year, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, but it's hard. Uh, and, and, there, there's a price to be paid for that. I'm lucky that I have the luxury of not needing to jump right into another project. I'm doing a lot of um, covers these days, you know, and which is a great uh, counterpoint to doing all the storytelling, because now you're just kind of focusing on surface, for focusing on craft, you know, on on illustration uh, and the challenges of that conveying something in one image. But uh, you know, I'm definitely feeling the itch to do more storytelling again, you know? So, you know, I don't, I don't see myself doing that for the next year or so, but I I, I want to take some time to figure out what the next project is and not just say jump into, I'm sure they would have been happy to green light Lonely City too. But, <laughs> but to me that felt like maybe not the, the most courageous choice, you know, or, or that, you know, yeah. that I, if I could afford it, That that I should take some time to figure out what is you know what's the next thing. So I'm still in the process.
0: It almost sounds like a a monthly book would be easier for you, but also greenlining and jumping right back into that in Lonely City, and especially if it's the same process. I mean, I agree with you. What for? What are the you know what is this for me um, as a creator? You know, what am I doing not only for myself but for my audience
1: here? You know,
0: it's yeah. That it's a different
1: kind of comic. You know, mm-hmm. I, comics don't all need to be made the same way. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I I really appreciated the longer timeline, the the thought. You know, the 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 luxury of being able to consider things and change my mind about things and and take all the care that I needed to with the book. It, it felt to me like like making. The amount of time it takes to make like a, you know, like a nice distilled whiskey or something um, versus something that's faster and more run and gun and more, you know, you know, more garage band punk rock kind of feeling, you know, that you get from a monthly comic where it's just let's put it out. Let's keep putting it out. Whatever you did last month, that's done on to the next thing. It's like, you know, it's an album. Mm-hmm. you know That's just it. keep putting out singles you know yeah um and, and see what you what you have at the end of the day versus like this longer symphonic piece you know one's not better than the other and and they have different they require different things of you you know and having done you know the monthly thing for a while like this was a nice change of pace but it always feels but you know this and Greendale um, that I did for vertigo you know like there were longer pieces and and they take it's a different part of your brain, and and I'm very—now that I've done it twice, I'm aware of the difference between that and, and doing a monthly comic. So jumping into another one was not the first thing that I wanted to do, but I definitely do want to do it again.
0: And, and there are different experiences for the readers, too.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, with how
0: you generate— you know, a comic, you know, every monthly is like a baseball game, you know, yeah. you, a baseball season. You can't focus on what happened yesterday. You have to right. focus on what's going on. And then eventually we're in the World Series. But, you know, in your book, Lonely City, it's the same. It's definitely a different experience. I read it differently than what I would yeah. do my my the monthly books that I have right next to me. Right. So, it's
1: a $7 book. Like, I want people to feel that there's something you know i mean they used to call those projects prestige projects right Mm -hmm. with the you know the bound books and everything you know you want to give something that makes it it gives it a reason to not be a saddle stitched comic that came it comes out every month like there there has to be something in it that justifies that price it justifies the experience and and the presentation you know that and that's why i did the book that way but you know i wouldn't want to do a monthly comic that way it wouldn't be possible and then it also you lose the the kind of immediacy of that and then almost the the call and response Mm -hmm. feel of of monthly comics
0: i think maybe with the experience you've had twice that you've done this now you know maybe there is a way of looking back and um figuring out how do you protect yourself Mm mm-hmm You know, what
1: can I I take from this experience and then apply to the monthly, you know, to make that feel, you know, is there a hybrid of this that that could happen? Oh, yeah. And then also, yeah, how
0: if you jump back into that pool, you how do you protect yourself? So you come out of it not with this point of exhaustion of like, do I ever want to do that again? That like I know how to do this and get to that spot that you were trying to get to with, you know, a, a black label book like this.
1: I mean, you know, to take it back to the, the original topic, um, I remember when I left DC as an editor that consistently, I, I don't know if I've ever talked to an editor that didn't have these, you you would have these kind of panic dreams about whether you put a book into production, you know, or if you forgot the note, you know, and, and then and then the book is going to go out. Did you check the blue lines and did you find every mistake or is some embarrassing typo gonna make it through Mm -hmm. uh, you know and i would wake up in the middle of the night being like did i put that book in did i bring it down? i think i brought it down i'm pretty sure and you wouldn't know and you'd have to kind of sit and you know until you went into the office to double check and i had those nightmares for a few months you know not i mean nightmares is strong but like i would have those kind of panic dreams um you know every week you know every week or two you know, for a few months because you, your body kind of gets used to that level, you know, and it's the same thing with this where, you know, it's like, yeah, this is how I made comics for a few years, you know, step away from that and try and find another way to do it. What's a smarter way to do it? What's a better, healthier way to do it?
0: Or if you just don't like it, go back to, you know, find a different approach. Really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, that, that is the challenge. I think, you know, trying <laughs> to find, you know, and keep it fresh. You know, I definitely don't want to keep doing things the same way over and over. Maybe there's a less tortured way of working.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got to get to work. I'm going to let you go. Hopefully (laughs) we won't be so tortured, but I've had those same dreams too, uh, about editing, about, um, waking up and like, uh, did I just send out at this typo, this massive typo into the world? Ah, shit. You know, but, uh, Cliff, it was great talking to you. Great, you know, getting the whole experience hearing about how you got to uh, Catwoman Lonely City. I think it's a great book. Everybody should check it out. It's definitely the hardcover because you even did more work on that, too. The At least the direct market hardcover. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you did even more work for us. So thank you very much for bringing this into the world and looking forward to what you do next. Thank you very much. Okay. I'll be talking to you later. Take care. Right. See you.